Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first real episode of the Middle Earth Mixer. I'm your host, Evan Cooney. And for the first episode, I wanted to talk to you about a portion of Tolkien's Legendarium that is really important to me personally. It's my, it's my favorite story. Um, so that's what I wanted to do my first podcast about. Uh, without further ado, I'm just going to jump right into it. So the Fellowship has been wandering around Moria for a couple days now. You know, for those of you who have read the books or seen the movies, you're familiar with the story. They tried to go over the pass of uh, Carathus. It wasn't working out, so they decided to go back under the mountain and go through the mines of Moria. After some days of wandering, the Fellowship has found themselves, after trying to figure out what, what's going on, of course, because Gimli was under the impression that his um, members of his family have come back and taken the mountain and claimed it for the dwarves. Eventually, they reach a, a chamber, what's called the Chamber of Mazarbul, and they discover the tomb of Balin. For those of you who have seen or read The Hobbit, you're familiar with Balin as a character. He was a member of Thorin's company. He's a member of Gimli's family. So this was a really devastating blow for Gimli. To give a little context, uh, after the dwarves retake Erebor, about 30 years prior to the Fellowship of the Ring, Balin decides to lead a company of Doran's folk from the Lonely Mountain to try and take back Moria. Moria, as you know, was lost many, many years before because the dwarves delved too greedily and too deep and awoke the sleeping Balrog in the tunnels below. The Balrog chased all the dwarves from the mountain, and they, they wandered for a while, and then they founded the Kingdom of Erebor at the Lonely Mountain. So Balin's quest to retake the mountain was clearly an abject failure, because the Fellowship now find themselves staring at the guy's tomb. So as the Fellowship is in this chamber, they come across a book. And in this book, you have Ori, who from, from The Hobbit, you guys remember him, he was writing a record of basically what took place. Now, unfortunately, what had happened to Balin was he had exited Moria and walked out to a lake, which is called the Mirror Mare. And according to Dwarven legend, this is where Doran, who is the father, essentially, of Doran's folk, he was one of... I believe seven original dwarves that were first to wake up in the world. He uh, was he he woke up around the mountain of Gundabad, which is up in the north, and came down the misty mountains where he came to this lake. And he believed, looking into this lake, that this is where he was going to found his first city. So this is where he decided to found the city of Khazadum. And Balin, obviously wanting to honor dwarven um, uh, tradition he wanted to go out and and look into the mirror mare he wanted to see his reflection in the lake like doran did before him and when he went out to go do that uh, a gang of orcs ambushed him and they killed him now he was brought back inside and then the orcs attacked moria and laid siege to the dwarves that were in there and this book that they found in the chamber gives the record of what happened. Now, I love this part in the story because it's super creepy when you're reading it. Like, just to read a section of it, Gandalf picks it up. And some parts he can't read, but the parts that he can, you know, he's essentially, like, skipping words because so many parts are, are smudged or damaged or the book actually says um, covered in blood, some sections of, of this book that he picks up. But what he can make out is... We cannot get out. We cannot get out. They have taken the bridge and second hall. So the dwarves are, are trapped 
in on this floor basically by orcs and evil all around and it says again we cannot get out the end comes and then drums drums in the deep they are coming and that's how it ends so obviously we know what happened to them they were sieged until eventually they all they were all just wiped out in one last stand in the the room that they were in which is now the room that the fellowship are in and as we move forward a little bit the company starts to hear orcs around the outside of the room in the movies this happens because Pippin knocks that bucket down the well and then it falls down and, and the orcs all hear it. In the books, a similar thing happens, but it's actually in the previous chapter. You know, Pippin throws a rock down this hole. There's some speculation up as to whether or not it was Pippin's fault, but it's not necessarily his fault. You know, the orcs just might have been around and heard some commotion in there. But anyway, so there's, there's an orc attack, you know, very similar to the one that we get in the Peter Jackson films. There's a troll that comes through uh frodo stabs it in the foot and it says that black blood comes out and and smokes on the floor frodo gets stabbed however it's it's actually not the troll that stabs him it's a it's a very large orc chieftain that comes in they kill about 14 orcs in total aragorn comes through and wrecks the orc chieftain basically like cleaves his head in and then all of the other orcs basically retreat they they don't go far because the Fellowship can still see them, but the orcs at this point are scared. So Gandalf uses this break in the onslaught, you know, to as a chance to try and escape. He commands the Fellowship to run in uh, what I believe is the opposite direction. It's, it's a door going the other way of, of where the orcs are coming in, obviously, but I'm not sure if it was on the other end of the room or, or more toward the left, but anyway. So he, he commands them to go a back exit out of the room and then slams the door shut, and then this is where we get that famous line from Gandalf in the movies where he says, do as I say to Aragorn. Swords are of no more use here. So we have the Fellowship and Gandalf being temporarily separated from one another. The Fellowship runs down uh, some stairs and uh, they can hear kind of some commotion uh, of what's going on at the top of the steps, but they can't see Gandalf. And what was going on was is Gandalf was at this door that was um, the blocking the exit that they had left out of. And there was a bunch of orcs on the other side of the door something on the other side of the door trying to to break it and attack the fellowship now going back to the fellowship for a second frodo sees a flash of light he hears gandalf kind of mumbling some things and then eventually as they're running gandalf kind of stumbles down the stairs and meets up with them without really explaining what happened gandalf just looks at them and says, I have met my match and have nearly been destroyed. And then he goes on to say, go on, you will have to do without light for a while. I am rather shaken. Which I think is a really interesting line because, all right, so we don't know exactly what just took place with with Gandalf yet and whatever was on the other side of the door that he was trying to block. But we do know that he apparently feels so drained that he can't even, you know, in the movies when Gandalf had, you know, a light at the end of his staff. It was some some small amount of power that, that he used to light up a dark room. You know, he is so drained that he can't even do that in this moment. So I think that's that's an interesting thing to make note of. And then they move on and they finally come down into a tunnel area where they can kind of just sit for a while and catch their breath from all this this running that they've done. This is where we find out that 
know, Frodo has the mithril armor on. You know, the, there's that whole sequence there. We also have a moment where Gimli looks at Gandalf and asks him, like, what happened? What happened up there with the door that you were trying to block? And Gandalf's responses here are, are really interesting. I'm actually, I'm just going to read it because it's a lot, it's stronger, and then I'll kind of break, I'll break it down with my thoughts. So Gandalf says, As I stood there, I could hear orc voices on the other side. He's talking about the door. At any moment, I thought they would burst it open. I could not hear what was said. They seemed to be talking in their own hideous language. All I caught was gosh, that is fire. So the orcs are on the, on the other side of the door, kind of muttering about fire. Then something came into the chamber. I felt it through the door. So Gandalf is perceiving some entity entering into the chamber. And the orcs themselves were afraid and fell silent. It laid hold of the iron ring. So it's talking about the iron ring, like of the door, you know, like it's, it's an old door. It's not going to have a doorknob on it. It's got an iron ring, you know, to pull, pull it or push it. And then it says, and then it perceived me and my spell. He's referring to a couple lines earlier that I didn't read where Gandalf had put like a, a shutting spell on the door. Gandalf goes on to say what it was. I cannot guess, but I have never felt such a challenge. Now, Gandalf and this thing on the other side of the door basically have a, a battle of power over breaking this thing open or keeping it locked. And eventually the power of both of them together just ends up breaking the door and actually collapsing the ceiling above the door. So Gandalf says that he, as the door collapses, he gets a glimpse into the room and he sees this darkness. And that's how he describes it. And then the ceiling collapses into the floor and then they're separated. Now the part I really want to pay attention to here is the line from Gandalf where he says, it laid hold of the iron ring and it perceived me. So let's break that down for a second. You know, in the Peter Jackson movies, which I love, you know, like I think he did a great job. It was a, the entire bit with the Balrog was tremendous. You know, as, as a little kid, it was like a scene you always really got excited in, and I still appreciate it now. But Peter Jackson's depiction of this Balrog, spoiler alert, we're talking about the Balrog here. This is the entity behind the door that Gandalf is having a battle with. You know, the depiction that we get in the movies is this very brutish, kind of beastly, almost animalistic creature that's that's going after the Fellowship for no apparent reason other than they kind of just came up in his house, you know? And this line here, it it perceived me. You know, it, it really gives you an impression of not just some animal that's defending the cave that it lives in, but an intellectual force to be reckoned with, something that is on par with Gandalf, something that is sentient, something that is capable of, of perception and, and understanding that, oh, you know, like he touched, he reached out, and touched the door and realized there was something on the other end of the door that was trying to stop him from coming through. You know, it's like he perceived Gandalf's power and sees it as, as some kind of challenge. So the verbiage here gives us an impression of, a, of an intelligent creature. You know, the book tells us that Gandalf had put a spell on the door to try and keep it shut. And whatever this entity was on the other side of the door had issued some kind of counterspell like against Gandalf's own power. So here we have almost kind of a battle of wits going on between these two. And it, it definitely 
the books differentiate themselves from the Peter Jackson movies because we get, like I said before, this impression of very, uh, Balrogs is very animalistic, but here we have a very, a battle of the mind happening. You know, of course it's power is involved, you know, brute power is involved with this door game between Gandalf and the Balrog, but it's their their minds are also involved you know there is cognitive skill here that we're seeing so after gandalf gives his description on what happened at the door the fellowship continues to run in the deep halls of moria trying to get to the exit on the east end of the mountain now they're down they're running and they meet a, a great fissure in the floor which again is just a testament to to how deep the dwarves really went down to the the depths of the earth to the point where there's there's fire coming out of the floor i think that that peter jackson did a great job of depicting that in the movies and they finally make it to the bridge which leads to the exit of Khazadum on the east end of the mountain now a little fact about this bridge is that it was constructed now you've you've seen the movie it's a it's a very thin and silly looking bridge and it looks silly if you don't have context for why it looks that way but it's actually an ancient defense strategy that the dwarves of Khazadum had incorporated so if an invading army happened to come in through the east gate they would have to walk one by one to get over this bridge into the inner parts of their city so they make it to this bridge and orcs catch them again. They're being pursued by this gang of orcs, but the orcs fortunately are on the other side of this giant fissure that's in the floor. So the orcs can't get to them, but they're firing arrows off at them. And then Legolas turns to fire an arrow at some of the orcs that are going after them. And then all of a sudden his face just drops. His arms drop. He releases hold of his arrow and it drops to the floor and he gives out a cry of dismay and fear. Legolas sees something that fills him with terror. Of course, we know it's the Balrog. Now, before I get into the Balrog's description, the Fellowship is, is on the other end of this giant crack that's in the floor and the Balrog is on the other side. However, it's approaching them. And Legolas is the first one to see this being. And I think it's interesting that Tolkien specifically chose to write Legolas as the first person who sees the Balrog. Legolas is, we don't know exactly how old he is because we were never given that detail, but we know that Legolas is a product of the Third Age. We know that he wasn't around in the Second Age and he wasn't around in the First Age. However, He's an elf. And being an elf, you know, his family has a Sindarin background. So his ancestors, they, they come from uh, a Doriath in Beleriand. So his people, I'm sure, would have told him stories of these ancient creatures that the elves used to have to do battle with, that the armies of the West used to have to destroy. There's no way that he wouldn't have at least some kind of childhood historical description of these horrible creatures. And I think that's why Tolkien went out of his way to show Legolas seeing it first. And Legolas is the one who first shouts, a Balrog. He says something along the lines of, a, a Balrog has come. And he's, he's horrified. He's, he's filled with terror. And then it says, uh, Gimli looked upon this beast and, and just 
dropped his axe and put his face in his hands. And then Gandalf says something like a, a, a Balrog. You know, now I understand. Now, in Tolkien's description of this thing that is marching towards them, he says, now, I'm excited to get into this, and I want to really get into it and take it apart, because it's a, the description that we get in the books is a little different from the movies. In the movies, we get this big beast with horns and a tail and wings and all kinds of stuff just added in. It almost looks like a dragon. But in the books, we get a description of a man-like shape, but a great shadow and a dark form. And it says that power and terror seem to be in it and go before it. So we see this thing that is in the shape of a man, but it is just darkness. And it says it's, it's large. It says it's, it's a great form, so man-shaped, but, but a giant. And then it says, it goes on to say, as this thing is walking towards him, it steps over fire. And as it steps over fire, it fades the fire that's burning. So this thing moves over fire and literally fades the light. So it, it, this has, it's not just darkness, but it, it's, it's emanating darkness. It's emanating unlight. There is just, Tolkien has this concept, and he talked about it a lot in the Silmarillion, this idea of unlight. So it's not just darkness, because what is darkness? Darkness is just non-light. Darkness is just what happens when there isn't light to fill a room. But in Tolkien's stories, there's often these creatures, and Ungoliant was one of them, who have a character trait of something that he called unlight, where it was just blackness just emanating from them. Something that you couldn't see through. And that's what was going on with this, with this creature that we have here in this description. And then it says, it leaps over the fissure, this, this giant crack in the floor. It leaps over to get to where the fellowship are by the bridge. Leaps over the fissure, and as it leaps over the fissure, it wreathes itself in flame. So it, it basically brings the flames up from the fissure and catches itself on fire. Now, I want to take a second to give a little background on what Balrogs are. You know, so we have confirmed, you know, Legolas says it, there it is, a Balrog. So let's get into a quick little background of, of what Balrogs are so I can provide context for why Gandalf's fight with this thing is so important. Balrogs are, so in Tolkien's universe, there's a spiritual hierarchy of beings. And at the top of this spiritual hierarchy of beings, there is one god, one monotheistic god of Tolkien's legendarium. And the name of that character is Eru Iluvatar, or the one, the, the creator of all things in Tolkien's universe. And then underneath him are a sect of beings called the Valar, which he imparted with his power, portions of his power to create the world within his will and his plan. So the Valar are really, you could compare them to extremely powerful uh, angels who can like, who have a level of ability to create things, but only what Iluvatar wants them to be able to create. And then underneath them, there are a sect of beings that you could compare to as just like regular angels, and they're called the Maiar. And I, I say angels not because Tolkien ever intended for them to be allegory. I'm just trying to come up with a description that 
normal people who aren't fans of the books could have something to compare it to. Now, Balrogs belong to that class of beings, the Maiar, these lesser angels. Again, just a comparative, not allegory. Sauron is also a great example of a being that belongs to that class. The Balrogs come from a, a certain group of these Maiar that joined in with Melkor in his rebellion against Iluvatar. Because re remember how I said the Valar were, they were endowed by Iluvatar with abilities to create things, uh, but they were only things within Iluvatar's will. Well, Melkor was the strongest and most powerful of the Valar, and he had decided that he wanted to be able to make things on his own terms. He wanted to be able to create his own his own versions of life outside of the will and plan of Iluvatar. And he tricked a bunch of Maiar into joining his cause. So there's these Maiar that joined in with Melkor are essentially, again, just to make a comparison, not allegory, uh, fallen angels. So uh, the Balrog that we see in the Fellowship of the Ring is one of these ancient beings that joined the dark side, essentially. I'm not going to get too much into that story because that story is several podcasts on its own, you know. <laughs> and it would, I, I wouldn't do justice to it if I, if I went to, I want to keep this clear and concise. So I hope that was, you know, a good enough kind of give you some, some backstory on, on where this being came from. It's one of the Maiar. This creature reaches the bridge and... As this is taking place, Gandalf turns to the Fellowship and he is just screaming at them to get across the bridge. He says, fly. Now this is where, you know, the, we have the first introduction of what will eventually turn into fly, you fools. But in this moment, he says, fly, this, foes is beyond, this foe is beyond any of you. I must hold the narrow way. Now when the narrow way, he's talking about the bridge. The Balrog approaches the bridge and the fellowship kind of halts on the other end of the bridge because they've crossed and they turn around because they just want to watch what's going on like uh like what was depicted in the movies so the balrog reaches the bridge and tolkien describes it as having just there's just shadow emanating from this this giant being which again i don't think that that tolkien depicted this as as some kind of crazy dragon looking thing with a tail and wings and i definitely don't believe it had wings again looking like an animal i believe that this looked much more like like a man or 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 some man-like being you know this this is a, a spirit of intelligence and and it's a force to be reckoned with this is like something that you know is it's a funny description but like again you know i just think it's important to say like this is something that you could have a philosophical discussion with you know it's not like some animal that we get in the movies so this thing approaches the bridge tolkien describes it again shadows like wings emanating from it i think that's where we get the wing description from is that people see that and they misread it and think that people are talking about actual wings like like no it's just it's just a literary description of the shadow that is coming from this beast. Um, it says that there was fire coming from this thing's nostrils and it's, it's got a whip and it gets to the bridge and it cracks this whip kind of like as in a, a way to intimidate Gandalf who is, is now standing alone in the middle of the bridge holding the narrow way. It says, Gandalf looks at this thing and says, you cannot pass. And then the Balrog stops and the orcs stand still. And they're all listening to this 
frail-looking, seemingly just a regular old man standing in the middle of the bridge, leaning on a staff. Gandalf goes to speak again, and he says, I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun. Go back to the shadow you cannot pass. Now, I want to break that down for a second. So let's start with, I am a servant of the secret fire. What, what do all of these various phrases mean that people who watch the movies definitely have no context for? This is, this is why I'm doing this podcast, folks, because this scene is so powerful and you have no idea when you're watching it. You know, like when, when you're watching the Peter Jackson movies, again, love them. But when you're watching the Peter Jackson movies, you have no context for what is making this scene so important and so powerful. There, there are layers of this scene that, that we need to pull back here. And this is why I made this podcast. So let's start. I am a servant of the secret fire. What does that mean? What is a servant of the secret fire? The secret fire is a reference to Iluvatar's, essentially his power. The secret fire is Iluvatar's power that gives life and creation to the world. Now remember, Iluvatar is the monotheistic creator of Tolkien's universe. Tolkien himself said, in referring to the secret fire, he said, this appears to mean, Tolkien talked like that a lot, you know, when he was giving answers that should be taken as definitive, he would say things like, Oh, I think, or this seems, or this appears to, you know, he was, he was like that. I don't know if he thought it was funny to do that, you know, to not answer things. And I believe that it was his way of making the world as immersive as possible, you know, as almost like reading a history book, like, well, we think, but we don't know for sure type of, that's how he liked to answer like lore questions when people would ask him. So Tolkien said, this appears to mean the creative activity of Eru, Iluvatar, in some sense distinct from or within him by which things could be given real and independent, though derivative and created, existence. So the secret fire is that which gave creatures like elves and men a soul, the soul, sentience, the, the ability of, of independent life and thought. It's what differentiates human beings from things like trolls. Trolls were made by Morgoth as like a mockery of Iluvatar's creation. You know, trolls are, are made from stone. That's why like in The Hobbit, when the sun comes up, those trolls turn to stone because that's what they're, that's what they're made of. They're just, they're just mockery of, of real life that actually have this thing which is referred to as the secret fire that exists within them. It's, it is the life, the life force that Tolkien's creator god has put into the world, into creatures like men and elves. So when Gandalf says, I am a servant of the secret fire, he is intentionally saying to this, this Balrog, which is a, a Maiar who has knowledge of who his creator is. Gandalf is saying, I'm a servant of the secret fire. I am a servant of the power of Iluvatar. So right there, right off the bat, you have just an incredibly impactful statement that, that this being that he's facing will understand. And then he moves on to say, wielder of the flame of Anor. Now there's a lot of speculation on what this 
exactly means because flame of honor has seemed to confuse a lot of people on the internet but i think it's laid out pretty clearly so honor means the sun in Sindarin, so basically saying the flame of the sun uh what do we know about the sun right the sun comes from the the tree laurelin when um during the time of the trees of valinor when the earth was lit by the light of the trees they were destroyed by Ungoliant, and then from the trees, they made the sun and the moon. So Gandalf is saying flame of Anor, you know, he, he's essentially, he could be saying, he could be saying a lot of things, but really, you know what, before I'm going to dive into this, um, I'm going to talk about, because I think in order to understand wielder of the flame of Anor, you need to hear the next statement. So I'm going to move on and then I'm going to come back. But the next statement, he says, you cannot pass the dark fire. So remember, Gandalf said flame of Anor, so fire of Anor. He says the dark the dark fire will not avail you flame of Udun. Udun or Utumno was the first fortress of Melkor. Udun in Sindarin just means hell. So Gandalf is basically saying here you know, he's he's calling this thing out. He's saying, you you flame of Udun, you flame of hell, you flame of Morgoth. He is saying, I know exactly what you are and where you came from. And this, this fortress, without getting too much into it, again, like I said, it was the first fortress of Melkor, and it's it's where he first gathered all of his evil to him. And then Gandalf goes on to say, go back to the shadow, and again, you cannot pass. Now, let's break down what Gandalf just did here. So again, whole phrase, one more time. You cannot pass. I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you. Flame of Odun, go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. I want to differentiate this from the movies because in the movies you have and and cinematically sure it's a it's a little cooler you shall not pass you know we all that's iconic everybody remembers that but there's a difference between you cannot pass and you shall not pass in the movie when he says you shall not pass there's the implication there is this is something you could do, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let you. You know, that, that's, that's the implication of you shall not pass. I'm not going to let you. But you cannot pass. That has an implication of you're not passing this bridge whether I'm standing here or not. And that's because in Tolkien's universe, there is divine providence. You know, divine providence exists in this universe and... Whether Gandalf's standing there or not, this Balrog does not have the authority to pass. You know, Gandalf, as a servant of Middle-earth's version of heaven, you know, he has divine authority in this moment. And he is telling this demon, and, you know, that's what that's what Balrog means. It actually, I believe in Sindarin, it's, it's demon of power, Balrog. He is telling this thing, you do not have the authority to stop us in our mission right now. So... You cannot pass, in my opinion, is more powerful than the cinematic you shall not pass. So that's that's a stark difference right there. This this whole statement is Gandalf identifying himself. If you haven't figured it out by now, Gandalf is one of the Maiar who stayed good in the beginning. At the beginning of creation, 
Gandalf was there. He was present, and he did not fall victim to the silver tongue of Melkor, like this Balrog did, that he's currently facing. So what Gandalf has just done, essentially, is, here is who I am. I am your good counterpart. I know what you are, and here's why you won't pass this bridge. And then he ends it off with, go back to the shadow, and the command reiterated, you cannot pass. Now, after that powerful statement, <clears throat> it's important to note what happens next. It says, the Balrog made no answer, but it also says, the fire in it seemed to die. So, this thing, clearly, like, th this is Tolkien expressing that this creature is having a subdued reaction to the statements that Gandalf just said, e even if it's just for a second. He, he's taking some pause to take in all of the information that he has just gathered about this this old, decrepit man that is standing in front of him. And, and maybe, maybe in this moment, this Balrog, Tolkien doesn't write it, but the way it's written, you can almost perceive that maybe this thing is even a little intimidated by the words that it just heard. Nevertheless, it chooses to step forward anyway, and it steps forward slowly, Tolkien writes. It steps onto the bridge, and then suddenly it grew itself up to a great height. So now we have the Balrog on the bridge. It takes out its sword. Now, again, important to note what happens here because in the movies, we do have Gandalf definitely coming off very powerful. You know, he creates like a shield for himself. But, but in the books, you know, this thing takes a swing at him with his sword and Gandalf responds with Glamdring his sword and hits you know they, they parry with one another it's i think it's more powerful that the two of them are actually exchanging blows with a sword and the book actually says that that gandalf knocked him over you know so in this moment gandalf is no longer this old man that is shooting off fireworks in the shire Gandalf is a force to be reckoned with in this moment. You know, it, it goes to show how powerful Gandalf actually is. It actually says in the books here, The Balrog fell back and its sword flew up in molten fragments. The wizard swayed on the bridge, stepped back a pace, and then again stood still. You cannot pass. He says it again. I think that's really powerful. So you have the Balrog taking a swing at him with the sword and he just absorbs it and kind of loses his balance for a second, knocks this Balrog backwards, and then stands firm again and says, you cannot pass, reiterates it. It's, it's a very stalwart kind of scene. And then after that takes place, you have the Balrog kind of regaining his balance and he, he leaps onto the bridge. So it's, it's the Balrog and Gandalf standing on this bridge together now. And I'm just gonna read from the books. At that moment, Gandalf lifted up his staff and crying aloud, he smote the bridge before him. The staff broke asunder and fell from his hand, a blinding sheet of white flame. It, now, for a second, I just wanna, I wanna point that out, white flame, remember, go back to what he was saying, flame of Anor, the white flame, good flame. Interesting to note that that's what's coming out of his staff, a blinding sheet of white flames sprang up. The bridge cracked right at the Balrog's feet. It broke and the stone upon which it stood crashed into the gulf while the rest remained poised, quivering like a tongue of rock thrust out into emptiness. 
With a terrible cry, the Balrog fell forward, and its shadow plunged down and vanished. But even as it fell, it swung its whip, and the thongs lashed and curled about the wizard's knees, dragging him to the brink. He staggered and fell, grasped vainly at the stone, and slid into the abyss. Fly, you fools! He cried and was gone. The fires went out, and blank darkness fell. The company stood rooted with horror, staring into the pit. Now I want to jump ahead to the two towers. The chapter of the White Rider, um, in my copy, it's on page 490, where Gandalf begins to kind of explain what happened to him and the Balrog. You know, when, when Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli find him in the forests of Fangorn, it's a newly embodied Gandalf. He has returned as Gandalf the White, he has more power than he had before. And when Legolas and Gimli press him on what happened, he says this, Long time I fell. Long I fell, and he fell with me. His fire was about me. I was burned. Then we plunged into the deep water, and all was dark. Cold it was as the tide of death. Almost it froze my heart. Then he goes on, Thither I came at last to the uttermost foundations of stone. He was with me still. His fire was quenched, but now he was a thing of slime, stronger than a strangling snake. I think this is interesting. We get a description of the Balrog here. It's it, He's been immersed in this subterranean lake or sea deep under the earth, and, and he now appears slimy. And, you know, Tolkien didn't go into too much detail about why that is, so you kind of have to use your imagination as to why, but this is like just an evil creature of, of slime and muck, you know? So after the flame is quenched, it, it, it becomes just very gross looking. But anyway, he goes on and, and Gandalf says, We fought far under the living earth, where time is not counted. Ever he clutched me, and ever I hewed him, till at last he fled into dark tunnels. So they're fighting on the bridge of Khazad-dûm, and they fall off and they go this long fall down into the abyss, into the very depths of the earth. And they're going back and forth to just 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 an epic battle between two of these uh, Maiar, this class of, again, to compare it to angels, these, this class of comparatively angelic beings, one of them being fallen, you know, going at each other aggressively until one just gives up. You know, the, this Balrog just starts running. And, you know, I could read from the books, but I, I want to wrap this up. You know, I, I don't want this to go too long, so I'm just going to be short. You know, the, they're going back and forth. They're fighting. The Balrog runs. You know, he es escapes into the tunnels of the earth. And then eventually, with Gandalf in hot pursuit, you know, they make it back up into the mines of Moria and they find this way up to a place called Doran's Tower. Now, Doran's Tower was at the top of Khazadum. It was actually outside on top of the mountain. And the two of them fight their way up the stairs against each other and find themselves fighting on top of Doran's Tower outside of the mountain. And the way Gandalf described this to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, he said there was so much commotion going on on the mountain that onlookers from the valleys would think that there was just a, a, a crazy thunderstorm going on on the top of the mountain. But really it was these, these two epic 
warriors fighting each other, essentially. And we actually, I love this scene in, in The Two Towers when Gandalf is describing it. It shows kind of the lightning come down and strike his sword and then he stabs the Balrog. But um, so anyway, the two of them are going back and forth on top of the mountain. And then it says, a great smoke rose about us, vapor and steam. Ice fell like rain. So the two of them are, are creating so much commotion on the top of this mountain, just going back and forth at one another, that, that the, the ice around them is, is melting. The snow is melting, and there's, there's all this smoke. It, it looks like a storm. Then Gandalf says, I threw down my enemy, and he fell from the high place and broke the mountainside where he smote it in his ruin. So Gandalf killed this thing. You know, he had victory over it. He took authority over it. He told it who it was. He displayed his power. And it took a long time, but he took it out in an epic way. Then Gandalf goes on to say, Then darkness took me, and I strayed out of thought and time, and I wandered far on roads that I will not tell. So we get an indication here that, that Gandalf clearly died. From, from the injuries that he sustained throughout this ongoing battle. So he has victory, he kills this thing, but his physical body is so exhausted from this process that he just dies. And then he says, naked I was sent back for a brief time until my task is done. And he's saying this as Gandalf the White returned, re-embodied in a new form. Now remember, why was Gandalf in Middle-earth in the first place? He was sent there along with Saruman, Radagast, and the Blue Wizards, who uh, I believe are named Palando and Alatar. Uh, that might be wrong. It sounds too close to Anatar, which was Sauron's name in the Silmarillion. Um, <clears throat> but he was sent there originally to assist the Free Peoples in fighting a newly emerged Sauron in the Third Age. So he was basically a messenger of, of the Valar, and his mission was to help protect the people of Middle-earth from evil. And that's what he did. He stayed true to his mission. And when he died, he, he faced, when, when his physical body died, you know, Tolkien has made it clear. It, it's, it's not clear where he goes when you're reading the book. But Tolkien, in other commentaries, makes it clear that what he means when Gandalf says, Then darkness took me, and I strayed out of thought and time, and I wandered far on roads that I will not tell. He basically came face to face with Iluvatar, who sent him back to complete his mission, because his mission was not done. The free peoples were still in danger, and Saruman failed his mission as a messenger of the good side. So Gandalf was sent back to finish the job by Iluvatar himself. And the story essentially continues from there. You know, we know what happens after that. Um, but what I set out to do with this podcast episode is I wanted to explain who the Balrog was and who Gandalf really is and why those two facts make that scene so much more powerful. And, you know, I hope I did that for you. You know, I love that scene because, yes, the Lord of the Rings is fantasy, right? But that scene is a spiritual battle between good and evil. These, these two spirits, 
you could compare them again, like I said, to angelic beings coming together and having this this epic battle. The scene is so much more than just an old wizard fighting a monster. The battles that we face in our everyday life, whether you believe it or not, are spiritual, you know? And, and I just love this scene because it's, it's Gandalf seeing this spiritual enemy and he takes authority over it and he destroys it. I'm going to end it on that note because um, I am not great at intros and outros. Uh, I definitely plan on getting better at it. I plan on adding some music and um, ha having more of a formulaic way of going in and out of my show. Um, so I'm just going to leave you with that, guys, and uh, I hope you enjoy this episode.